Hello and welcome to the Beast Tactical Podcast, where we try to get under the bonnet of all things tactical and statistical at Brentford. I'm David Anderson, your host for today, and with great pleasure for the commencement of the playoff specials, I'm delighted to say that I'm again joined by uh, what is becoming a f- as a familiar voice as my own on this channel, Jordan Weimer. Yeah, I've become somewhat of a Brentford fan, it seems, isn't it? I'm here all the time now, but yeah, thanks <laughs> for having me. Pleased to be back. No problem at all. So how are you doing? Um, yeah, thank you for joining us. Yeah, very well. Still living off the higher promotion and uh, hoping to hoping to see the same thing happen to you guys in a few weeks' time. Yeah, me too. I, I guess I've got to ask, like, how smug are you feeling right now? You're looking at these playoffs um, as a neutral. You get to enjoy them, um, reviewing players you might like to steal if the opportunity arises, <laughs> assessing your own squad for the coming Premier League season. It's just, um, it's just a real happy place, isn't it? I think it's just relief at this point. I think any any fan, especially in the championship, knows that feeling of relief if you kind of get that promotion or just go over the line. Um, there's so much kind of there's so much emotion put into those those seasons, and just to have it done and, and know you've come out on top and or second in our case and won that promotion is just all we needed. So watching those kind of situations, relegation battle in the Premier League, it's nice not to be part of that. Uh, being able to view that as neutral, and yeah, as you say, the playoffs. I mean, the playoffs are the most entertaining football you can kind of get in a lot of ways but when you're involved in them it's it's awful <laughs> quite frankly it's a nervy nervy situation and you know it, you have to get through it but it's positive because it gives you that massive opportunity so yeah they're they're brutal things they're nothing other than just evil evil things um yeah so best Brentford and worst got... memories of football for me are in the playoffs so yeah yeah um just nothing but bad for Brentford but anyway we won't we won't dwell too much on history we're looking forwards we're looking forwards yeah. but um so Brentford have drawn Bournemouth we know that now after the final day and how everything ended up um just um sort of petered out a little bit really but we kind of thought this forward finish for a while and they have finished where they have um yeah so that's why we're here really we, we're going to start um reviewing Bournemouth um two games uh two 90 minutes away from a final uh it's difficult to it's difficult to reinvent the wheel, I guess, with our analysis. We've seen like forty six games of these teams now, so there's there's not really many unknowns. Um, mm. But I reckon it's good because it it gives us a chance to focus in on like the, the best options of these teams coming into these games. Like um like what what's the best version of of um, Bournemouth and the best version of Brentford, and has that changed as the season's gone on? And and are we a little bit um we a little bit different now to where we were maybe ten or fifteen games ago? Um, just where's the momentum lying and. Uh, and yeah, just both teams, um, both teams fighting it out for a playoff final against Barnsley or Swansea. It's, it's, it's the big time. This is it. Yeah, it is. It's huge. And I, I will say, there's a lot of known, as you say, there's a lot of known quantities coming coming into these last few kind of playoff games. But if you're looking at it from the other opposition perspective, I do think if you had to look at one that is somewhat of an unknown, you'd, you'd probably say Brentford, just because there has been more of a more of a change in kind of shape and stuff in recent weeks. It does give you a little bit of an edge, I think, in that in that regard. Much less tape to review, and I think there's a bit of an opportunity to try a few new things there without disrupting uh, too much that you've kind of been putting into play. Mm, yeah, I, I think, yeah, you're, you're definitely right. I think with my unknown comment, it's probably more directed at Bournemouth than Brentford, um, mm. which is which is a good thing. Um I guess from the outside, maybe we should start with like the recent form of the two teams and maybe how critical I've been on this channel of of Brentford, um, mainly just like due to frustration, um, a lack of alternative options or decisive actions. But yeah, of, of late, I've found it really hard to be anything but impressed. And I, I think it's because um, we have become a little bit unknown and there's just been a bit more variety. Um, just go, just, yeah, so Brentford's last couple of games coming into this... Um, 
I think beat Bournemouth uh, the last time we chatted, actually, um, just ahead of the Watford match. Um, yeah, beat Bournemouth with 10 men. A pretty convincing win in the end. Um, uh, then we played Watford yourselves. Uh, that was another, I'd, I'd also say that was another convincing win. And uh, the final game of the season against Bristol. Um, yeah, just, just another convincing win. So we just had three dominant displays um, in a row. One of them down to 10 men. The other against you guys, um, the, the the latest um, team to get promoted and a couple of players like sort of playing for their futures as well like their careers and we we still made quite light work of it and then Bristol just swatted them aside like um, like a, a lower championship team that they are um, so it's, it's a good set of a good set of results um, the system that you're talking about which makes us this unknown is a little is, is sort of embedded a bit more um it's becoming a bit more normal. I think. I think the the positionings and where players are, are positioned are, are working well in it now, and it's it's getting the best out of Force and Tony, taking the responsibility away from Tony, so he's not solely responsibility for, uh, responsible for shots. Um, mm-hmm. And then Fosu just behind, like in possession, it looks good. Out of possession, from a pressing perspective and just blocking the opponent, in, it's also good. It's hard to penetrate through, um, and we're just looking really strong. Um, what? Just um, just yeah, maybe a little brief recap from from your perspective of these last few games. Um, maybe especially from that Watford game as well. Yeah, I think the I think the Watford game definitely showed how you're kind of getting more comfortable in that new shape, and it, I, I think it's kind of ticking along quite nicely. It seems like you're making some making some changes with the personnel going into those final few. Obviously, some resting, some kind of having that opportunity to you know stake their claim on perhaps a starting starting spot or some maybe some more involvement in the playoffs. And I think it's best case scenario really you're able to make those changes but still continue winning and keep that momentum. So. I think it's only positive, really, especially when you compare other teams kind of around you, the likes of Swansea and, and Bournemouth, especially that have kind of really struggled in this phase. So to keep going um, and keep winning, I mean, I, I don't think you can complain. Really, there's not too much to complain about anywhere with how Brentford have ended their season. Um, I think it's all all pretty positive uh, for me. Yeah, I'll just go back to so the last time we spoke, we we spoke about. Um, we did touch on playoffs and just the momentum and the the mindset going in, and I was very much of the of the position that um, Tony shouldn't play any more football. <laughs> let's get him out of the team. Um, yeah. Let's rotate. Let's let's just rest. And I, I was saying that as an I was probably being idealistic, as in that's the most that's what I'd like to happen. Mm. Really, not knowing that is going to happen. I think Tony had some individual accolades that he wanted to hit, and he's like he's got the top scorer now. He's done that. Um, the team needed to play this system. It needed more minutes in the tank with this system on the field. Yeah. Um, so that was obviously also going to happen. Um, and it's 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 looking good. It's ironing out some of the creases that I thought I saw. I think uh, Mads, Mads Bidstrip's come in as well. A young lad, which we got from Leipzig, who got injured really quickly, actually, since he arrived. Um, just He's missed a lot of football, but he's coming back and getting first team minutes, which is probably an indication of the, how highly they think of him. Um, yeah. But he slotted in really easily. Um just sort of giving and going in midfield and also being quite tenacious as well. Um, Mazbek Sorensen's come back in a little bit. Um, there's been a bit of rotation there. Um, I think I think it's just been tuned well. And the fact that we have made a couple of changes and still kept that level high, um, the, the partnership between Force and Tony is looking quite strong. Um, it's It's gone well. And I think... Um, I think as much as I'd have liked to see these guys sitting on the sofa and just playing FIFA, they've actually <laughs> done, they've actually done really well and um, keeping this level high. And um, in comparison to Bournemouth, who we'll go on to in a second, I think if you're looking at the two squads and you're looking at like 
the macho side of this coming into this. All the all the momentum and all the power feels like it's in Brentford's side. Yeah, it does. And I know you're talking about this, as we said before, it's intangibles, aren't they? So it's hard mm. to kind of quantify what the result you're going to get by doing certain things kind of in this build-up. But I, I do think if you have players playing and someone like Tony that's scoring goals and continuing, you're taking the risk, of course, he's going to get an injury or he's going to pick up a knock or something. But, I mean, I personally feel infinitely better about Tony firing all cylinders coming in for, coming into this game continuing that scoring streak and, and just, just looking for, just looking fresh still. He doesn't look, he's not moving still. He doesn't look fatigued. He looks good. Um, and I think keeping him, just keeping him firing is important. And that goes for a lot of players too because you want to you build that momentum. You want to feel like you're ready for those competitive games. Um, and as, as I was saying earlier, it's best case scenario for me. You've come through that relatively injury-free. Everyone's looking pretty good and you've, you've had more time to work on the system. And I will say too, I think the system... I'd be interested to see kind of what work was being done on the training ground prior to it being implemented because it does seem like you're pretty comfortable in it considering how how few minutes you've really played there, especially for some of the players coming in. They all look very well coached and they all look very very comfortable in their in their positions there. So, I mean, if, if you're to, if you're talking about kind of this three this kind of three games now that you've had since you've known or known your place in the playoffs and then you've had the playoffs, it's almost like a mini preseason, isn't it? Like it's a weird kind of like preparing for the playoff preseason kind of run of fixtures. And I, I just think you've kind of, you really hit every hit every mark you could um, and you should be fully prepared now. So it does put you in a position to be best case scenario Brentford coming into your first game against Bournemouth which is obviously very promising and completely contrast to to Bournemouth mm, yeah I, I think I've been um been sort of told off for not talking about Brentford enough on this channel just talking about the opposition more mm. and uh, not focusing on Brentford but um maybe this is a good time to make up for that before we get into Bournemouth a bit more I, I think um across those last three games um, if we're thinking about a new formation, and you've you've touched on it then, and why I probably have sounded a bit down on on bees on this channel, it's because um, I, I don't think the changes that were needed were huge changes. Um, I don't think it took a lot to do what we've seen, and you've said it yourself. It looks like how how much are they preparing for this on the training ground? Maybe they have prepared a lot. Um, yeah, the changes have come about, and it, it's looked like this is something they've been doing for a long time. So. Um, if we just think about like over the last maybe 20 games, what the weaknesses are, the, the weaknesses are the chances kept falling to Mbemo and Canos um, in that 4-3-3. It was tiring defending to get back into 4-5-1 and then also, then also attack. Uh, yeah, so those last three games, what we've been seeing is... Um, well, sorry, not the last three games, we'll go back a bit. The, the last 15 or whatever games... Um, playing that same system, the 4-3-3, was just taking its toll. Um Chances were falling to Canos and Mbomo. Um They were being relied upon when, yeah, we we we've seen what sort of forwards they are. We've seen they're they're quite wasteful and they're not they're not clinical enough with chances. Um, we needed a change up top because um, also defensively they were having to work too hard and get back and then get forward to to get on the end of stuff. It just wasn't conducive to to bring the best out of the team. Uh, Norgard came back in. Norgard and Yanel wasn't working as a midfield pairing. They just they were either getting in each other's way or it just wasn't it wasn't enough ahead of the ball. It was it just wasn't the balance wasn't right. So what they were thinking about and it isn't rocket science in the end. I think you need to think how do we how do we get this midfield to balance better as you pull you pull Norgard back a little bit, have him a bit deeper. 
and then um, you bring Fosser into this team, a player who can get on the ball in the middle, in the final third and middle third, and just hold on to it, and then build, and then get a bit more possession. And then mm-hmm. you got to get force into the team. Like these are the things that we should have been doing a lot earlier. And it's we're seeing, we're kind of reaping the rewards now. And that's why I think I was frustrated because I don't think the changes were huge, and I think there was time to to implement them and just get them on the pitch. And may, maybe um, the the automatic race may have been a little bit closer. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think that I can see that frustration, especially when you know that you have the pieces there, uh, and you can see your kind of your, your team's kind of flagging. I think I think it's easy for, for for outsiders such as ourselves, you know, fans that are kind of trying to take in this these games and, and work out like where these deficiencies are and and what you can do to help. It's it's often easy to think about changing things quite quickly, where of course the actuality of doing so might be more of a longer process for my for most coaches. So. I think the fact that it came about in the end is good, but I think you've touched on before that you, you do feel quite strongly if that had happened a little bit earlier, that might have been just enough to, to keep things going in that automatic hunt. But I think you've got to take the positives in the fact that there has been a change um, and it, it's come close enough to the right time in the sense you're still in this playoff position and you've got the opportunity to, to still get that promotion. And I think that change in shape, for me, that's that's turned you from kind of contenders in that playoff race to, to favourites for me. Um, it, you just look a much fresher team. And I think, as you say, that, that change in midfield has really helped. I think bringing Frost into there, it, the forward line looks a lot better. And I think Tony having that support has opened up a lot of room for him. It, it, he was getting quite bogged down a in, in that kind of final run into that 4-3-3. It felt like he was being used as a bit more of an outlet than you'd want. And he was maybe being pulled into some positions which were taking him away from goal. And those mm. chances just kept coming to to your wide men and it wasn't really working so I think finding that balance now and shifting things around it really feels like you're maximizing the squad that you have rather than kind of working out how to to fit the players you have into into Frank's system which you know worked for a time uh, you can't criticize it completely but you have to give credit to 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 the coach there because he's being in some sense he's being humble and, and finding a way to kind of fit these guys in and I think it's I think it's been really a really smart bit of management. Mm, yeah I'll, I'll just um touch off on that and round off and I, th- I think you're right about the feedback loop side of things you're not you're not just making decisions or changes on a whim you're you're looking for you're, you're sort of forced into them where you're not quite getting enough or you want to do them but there could be a reason preventing you from doing them like um i, I think force wasn't maybe at the at the maximum fitness levels to mm. to play the amount he's playing as he is now which is obviously that answers why maybe they were a bit reluctant to change into a system that needed two strikers for every minute of every game so there are there are reasons and i think um yeah that i think that's the thing about being a fan isn't it and unless you know the entire story you're obviously always going to be searching and if you haven't got the yeah. answer you want you're you're going to be frustrated but I think I think it's good to see like the likes of Force getting opportunities at like this too. Like he's not every team is going to have that that depth and the ability to bring those players in and ha- having that option to do so. And it, it's really it's just really positive to see. And I think it's a testament to to your recruitment as well. The fact that you've got these players to call upon and and finding ways to get them involved. That's the most important thing because it gives you those options. And it might not always be necessary for certain parts of the season. But I think the time when the decision was made, it was definitely the point where it was necessary. And it's kind of a I mean, we talked about this, I think, on, on this podcast too. It feels like every promotion has, you look at it and there's some luck in there, there's some you know, some good decisions made or, or whatever, but it always feels like somewhat of a perfect storm. And those little things are kind of part of the narrative. And you look back on the end of the season, you think, okay, this is the point of the season where 
you know, this happened, we changed shape and things started to improve. And there's that season we had a you know, great stretch and then there's a few draws. And you kind of look at this mini seasons within a big season. Um, and I think you kind of have some ups and downs always, even the teams that go up automatically, ourselves, even Norwich had a couple of blips in there too. Um, so to have the kind of more positive kind of little segment of that season happening right now, I know momentum has taught a lot about going into playoffs. It's not always... Maybe it doesn't always actually uh, play as big a part as, as, as it's discussed as often, but I do think it's a factor, and you have that in your favour now. So, I mean, I'm pretty positive for you guys. Yeah, we'll come back to Brentford a little bit more and why this... Um, I think it'll, just trying to explore it in a bit more detail, why this system is so effective. And, and um, yeah, maybe some teasers on my views. I, th- I think 3-5-2 as a system is probably... We're going to see it a lot more. It's not, it's not going to go any... It's not going to go away, I think as a system and just all the phases it's it's probably the most effective at moving between if you, if you can get the personnel right within it I think yeah I'm not I don't want to just make it sound like the formation itself is what's right I think you just get that you get that personnel right you you can get two strikers on the pitch you can get three midfielders you can always yeah. have three def- three um, defenders you've got good wide options like a lot of bases are covered and um from a from an out of possessions perspective, you're already sat in the shape you need to be when you win the ball back quickly. Like there's a lot of things that are really positive about it. But I'll save some of those. Um, I will say on that the, real quick. I do think yeah. it's it's the highest risk, high risk reward system because <laughs> a, a, a bad three five two or or a it's negative bad, three yeah, five two yeah. can be. It can either be the most expansive, creative, yeah. flexible, balanced system, or it can be the most attritional, dire stagnant system it so much depends on the coaching within the shape and the personnel you've got to put in there especially I think one of the issues I do think we're seeing quite a lot is the the 352 becomes quite a popular system you start to see it pop around in different leagues and you know different areas of the of the table and I think you, you do notice quite quickly the coaches that try and implement that when their personnel has been recruited for a four four two or a four two three one. They don't have that positional flexibility in their squad, and you kind of have these squarish pegs that are kind of going into these these positions, which require a lot more, whether it's technically or physically, than they maybe possess at that time. And I think that's where Brentford are capitalising because you do have. It just so happens that the the person that you've kind of recruited do slot into that system really nicely. And, you know, maybe you've got, maybe you could be a little bit more balanced in some areas. You could be perhaps better, but you're pretty much there in terms of finding the team that fits that, that individual role side of the game. It also just kind of that larger picture of, of a team playing in that system. So I think it works really well. And I also think it's a really good matchup for, uh, for Bournemouth too. Mm. As in, it's a good matchup for you playing against Bournemouth, not, yeah, yeah. not the way around yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got you, I got you. Um, okay, so yeah, let's move on to Bournemouth a little bit then. So recent form for them coming in, um, since that uh, 10-man trouncing by Brentford, um, they've, they've gone on to lose three on the bounce. I think um, they had a big 4-1 win prior to the Brentford match, which that feels like a long time ago now, where they, they yeah, they... Brentford played Millwall, I think the game before then Watford had a Millwall match not long after. I'm not sure, I can't remember the exact line for Millwall, but it, I, I thought it was going to be a tough bit of scheduling for them and it looks like Bournemouth came out on the right side of it and just gave them an absolute walloping. Um, yeah. Scored four past them and you were thinking, OK, heading into these final few games and then the potential playoffs, like Bournemouth are looking strong and maybe at that stage there was a little uh, thought about automatics, but it just obviously drew away from them and uh, they couldn't do it. But it, it does, it feels like a long time ago, that 4-1. I, I don't think they've scored a goal since then. Um, 
they've had some good chances. Let's not just... I, I don't want to say that shots have dried up completely. I think Surridge has been guilty of some misses in these last few games. Um, I think Dan Juma's missed a couple. I think Solanke's had a good couple of chances. Billing as well. Like There's chances of being creative, but maybe this is um part of their um part of their weaknesses which we might go into a bit later on but just just are they ruthless enough in front of goal like uh, is there too much of the process of just sort of passing and passing when these when these chances do come about they're just they're going to go in like clutches against a millwall and four instead of maybe a converting a 1-0 or 2-0 when they need to but um the last three games so let's um let's just have a quick look at those um I will just say real quick on that, yeah. on that, David. I, I do think when, as well, when you look through Bournemouth, you just go through and just even just look at their goals. And obviously, it's not a, it's not a perfect way of analysing a team, but it does give you an indication of kind of their route to goal. Obviously, um, and just look at the actual finishes they make. A lot of their, a lot of their goals this season have been quite individual, kind of quite solo efforts and mm. quite, quite varied in their in their shot range and position of shots it's just there's no I don't see as much of a pattern in, in in their finishing as you do when you look at like sort of I don't know just using Watford for example or Bournemouth they've kind of got these set routes to goal and it creates a lot of opportunities and you kind of understand a little bit where that's going to come from I think with Bournemouth so much of it seems quite random it's hard to replicate that randomness consistently and you do end up in these situations where you know bidding was going on that stretch of scoring four and four or five and five whatever it was and you know these things aren't necessarily kind of worked into the team it's just kind of these natural things that happened during the game and it's hard to hard to continue that I don't feel overly confident that Bournemouth have I don't, I don't feel overly structured in front of goal which isn't always the worst thing um, no. but it, it does mean that it's hard to game plan against the opposition you're playing when you don't have that kind of that kind of worked on in, in training sort of pattern and, and them sort of final third movements where you kind of know where your teammate's going to be and you know how you're going to create these opportunities because in these situations mm-hmm. when it's kind of high pressure situations you almost need that. You almost need that kind of instinct of where you're going to play the ball. I know some of this is built into just players naturally playing over the course of their career and playing within similar systems. But there is something to be said about having that uh, in in these sorts of games. And I, I do think that's again that's another edge that Brentford have having this one because Bournemouth to me they can be a threat, but they can also really not be a threat. And I know in the last game, I'm pretty sure they only actually managed to achieve one shot on target out of their 13 or so. So it does seem a little bit varied for me. I'm not sure if that's just something I've just kind of come up with myself. Or if you think if you've seen something similar there, no, I th- I think I agree. I, I think um, uh, I think they've got a passing model you can see at the back, which most teams have developed now, like just around um, just around build up and moving on. But once it gets into the middle and into the middle, like the middle third, I don't see much. I don't see much systematic stuff coming out of them. And then to get it into the final third, I think it is reliant on on Brooks just beating a man and then moving into the box or Dan Juma doing the same from the other side. And yeah, yeah, I I think we'll go into a little bit more of why that is, I think, as we move on. But yeah, you definitely are onto something there. I don't know how much of it is coordinated and how much of it is just once it is on the edge of the box, just a little chip ball forward and someone running onto it and doing what they can and trying to get the I think goal. But. the best word to describe it for me is it's an improvised attack a lot of the time mm. which as I said it's, it can it can be fine if you've got the quality in players you've got the kind of creativity in your players to do so um, that's fine but I, I think back to I even think back to when you guys were playing them with 10 men and they had they probably must have had about 10 minutes left um, I, I think there was the last kind of 10 minutes of the game and but Brentford started to drop a little bit deeper. Bournemouth instantly, they looked, they looked lost. They had possession. They didn't know how they were going to get the ball into the box. And it ended up with the ball getting that wide, hitting those early crosses into the box. There was just no, 
there didn't seem to be the patience and the comfort within their approach to kind of know what to do in that situation it just looked very kind of off the cuff um, and I think that hurts you in, in these sorts of situations because you've got to be finding ways to win these games of course and I, I just think it's it's one kind of extra strike against Bournemouth that they haven't kind of found a way to be a little bit more consistent or just a little bit more considered and measured in, in those kind of moments Mm, it's it's interesting actually yeah so I'm, I'm trying to focus on these three games that have just gone because I think that's that's really where the memory of this team is coming from I think prior to that they were on a good run I think they won seven on the bounce I think they were looking really strong and they put a really a good run together some I mean some of those games where it's like all games you're you're obviously you're creating chances and they're going in at the right times and it's score lines are looking inflated and then you beat another team when they're on, a, on the attack and it's all looking quite rosy and then you suddenly play a good team. Like they, they came up against Brentford and uh, they just run out of steam. Um, against 10 men, I think it can be difficult for teams. Like they can sit back and they pick you off on the break. But as you were saying, I, I think a big weakness of this team is there's no real there's no real idea when they do need to go direct. I think they're, I think if you look at maybe short passes, I think they're the other behind I think they make even more than Norwich a team that you just you completely think about like keeping it short and and yeah. probing and moving through the thirds Bournemouth are making uh, more short passes than Norwich but they're nowhere near on the shot side of things or or if you're looking at how many possessions are getting into the box they're behind Norwich so there is a little bit of this like is it just covering every blade of grass for the sake of it or is there like um is it is it too slow at moving the ball forwards and is there is there enough um someone actually taking taking command and just moving it forward and maybe that's a little bit of a weakness in their team too but yeah just going through these last three games quickly I'll just try and round them up um, what I found is interesting because so there's a bit of small rotation I think um, when we were talking about Brentford going into these I'd, I'd like to see more rotation but the right amount has probably come in um, I think Surridge has played a little bit of time in these in these last three games uh, Pearson's come in Mepham's had a little bit of football um I think if you're looking to keep momentum good and sort of keep results high and and um, the the group like buzzing and ready to go for the, a big set of games, uh, I don't think it's gone well for them. I, there's no other way to there's no other way to dish it up. Um, losing to Wickham isn't really. I mean, it's not great. They were fighting for their lives, but um, I, I didn't see a I didn't see a resounding performance against Wickham. Mick Piazza's curled a, a great strike into the top corner early on. Finish, yeah. It was it was yeah he did he did something similar against Brentford, but that's in the third minute. So you've still got ninety five minutes or whatever to come back into this game. Ninety minutes, ninety five, whatever. A bit of injury time, and I didn't ever feel like I mean they had a penalty shout, which probably uh, yeah you, I don't know it's a bit dubious. Um, Surridge is I think he missed quite a good chance as well, but. I think Wickham were Wickham would have felt comfortable. I think they'd have known going into the game. They'd have known they'd have had a couple of chances which they need to come out on the right side of because of just the nature of Bournemouth's team. Um, and they ended up losing that one nil. So that's a drawn a blank in front of goal. And then that so that follows off the Brentford match. And then up against Stoke, where um, this is where you're you're trying to think of. So if you if you're cute, and I think this is we have to assume that these these are professionals now you're looking and you're thinking well Stoke, Stoke are playing a similar system to Brentford here this is a 3-5-2 it might be played in a slightly different way um, not such intensity in the forwards and a little bit more maybe like a mid block to instead of sort of pressing high but the structural uh, the structural side of the teams are very similar um, mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't think Bournemouth got through them well enough to, to sort of make anything out of the game I, there, were, there were aspects where they played well I think they started well and had a good chance early on but just looking at the timeline of events, it doesn't look great for them either. And I think Stoke again would have felt comfortable. Like I didn't see enough 
movement of taking them out of position. I think their five were 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 settled. I think when um, Solanke did break beyond, I think Danny Bart at one point, Bart just ripped him down and <laughs> took a yeah. took a tactical foul. Like yeah. uh, it just went well for Stoke. And then the things that you don't want to see, um, you've got. Uh, Big old cookie getting beaten at corners and um, yeah. short camera Vic, short cam Vickers getting done as well. Like they conceded from a corner, like not getting it cleared. Um, that went in, and then uh, the goal, the second goal, wasn't great either. I think um, Cook gets really, pulled in. Really doesn't poor he? defending on the flanks. I thought. Really yeah, it was awful. It was awful, wasn't it? So Cook gets sucked in, and the ball goes into the forward. It just gets popped out. Um, Kelly's come narrow as well. I don't know why he came. I'm not sure what made him think he should come so narrow. But anyway, it was just played out wide. And then um, uh, I can't remember who it was for Stoke on the second, but he just had a free run in and um, just a nice finish past Begovic. Uh, for the this, is, this is also, I think this is, Tommy a, this Smith, is a point worth highlighting too. I think this goal mm. in particular, if you're looking at looking at Brentford playing Bournemouth and especially with that kind of system matched to, to Stoke in some ways. I think that that goal really kind of encapsulates the kind of areas you want to be exploiting too. Because when you make, when you make Cook and Vickers play in space, they're not comfortable there at all. And Bournemouth are going to commit, going to commit forwards, especially from their wide areas. And I think it does, their biggest strength can become their biggest weakness quite quickly. Uh, they, they don't seem comfortable in that area. And I, I think that's definitely something that's a weakness. We kind of touched on before, before kind of recording this, we, we were talking about centre-back play um, at Bournemouth and that, that's definitely been an issue. And I think that is still a weakness and not centrally. I mean, both these guys are quite combative. They're going to be happily playing, you know, quite deep and they need to and, and clearing their lines and, and being quite, as I said, combative. But when you get them in those wide areas, you make them play in space, they're quite, they're quite open and, I think they're very beatable. It's just finding ways to kind of to kind of pull them in a little bit to you and try and get those fullbacks onto you. And then if you can set those if you can set those little traps and you can hit them quick with that power and pace that you can have from wide. So I do think you've got quite progressive wing backs. You know they're quite comfortable playing forwards, aren't they? Mm. If you can actually exploit that space, I mean, I think it could be it, it could be very it could be a demolition in some ways if they if they do so, but. It's always difficult to predict because these playoff games too, you know, you do see a change in in approach from teams and they do get a little bit cagey. But I think if you can start to tempt them out, that's an area I'd definitely be looking at. And I think that Stoke goal really epitomises where those issues lie and where there could be potential kind of benefits for you guys. Mm, yeah, I think it was it was just um, it was obviously planned like the move with Smith coming down the right and overlapping and just getting outside everyone because it, because Bournemouth got so narrow. I think. Um, these are the these are the kind of warning signs I'd be looking at, and it's it's some of the things we've seen with Brentford as well coming up against um, just teams that play with wing backs. Like you've got you've got men outside. We suffered against Derby. Um, the four four three three is it can be just a very narrow system because your wing your wingers have to do so much work. They have to they have to push forward, but they also have to defend. They have to tuck in. They 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 can get exposed. And I think Dan Juma and Brooks aren't exactly known for good work off the ball. I don't think that that's their game. Their game is to get on the ball and just push forward and spend time in the third. So you're you're almost gambling a little bit with their positioning. So um, well, I think I, Kelly as well plays so advanced in, in that four three three two. Um, it, four three three as well, I should say. Um, it, it makes it difficult because he, he likes to. He's practically playing on the halfway line for most of the game. He, he likes to kind of. It allows Danjuma to kind of get that little bit further forward. Naturally, they kind of want Danjuma on that. They want Danjuma almost playing on the shoulder of his fullback. They want to kind of get those one on ones and isolate him and his fullback as much as possible. And I think naturally, it's going to pull Kelly up because 
you know, when Bournemouth are in possession, Dan Juma's not so much dropping off and offering that space in the touchline or offering that kind of simple pass. He's always looking to kind of push on. It's kind of opening that room for, for Kelly to kind of progress with the ball, travel up the pitch. And naturally, he's just going to be playing quite high. Uh, I think it's hard for them to avoid that. So it's going to play into your hands if you can kind of win that ball back. I think it'll be interesting to see how you react to it, whether you'll be tempted to kind of pull your pull your wing backs in and, and try and play a little bit tighter to Dan Juma and give Janssen a little bit more support, or if you're going to gamble and, and try and make them play that pass and hopefully turn it over. It's all going to be a question of aggression, I think. When I say aggression, I mean how positive you're going to be in your defending. You know, Are you going to be... Are you going to be a little bit more reserved and are you going to change things a little bit or are you going to try and kind of capitalise on the nerves of the situation and be the, be the instigator, be the aggressor and try and win that ball back a little bit quicker? Which, based off how you normally play in terms of your, your pressing in certain areas, I think that's probably more likely for me. Yeah, I, th- I think um, without trying to, yeah, I don't want to be too down on Bournemouth because it sounds like we're um, sort of, or I am <laughs> writing them off as a, as an a, just an average team or not not quite good enough or maybe they shouldn't be here. But I, I think they should be here. They're definitely a playoff team. But they're I, not I think... Swansea. They're not Swansea. That's the thing. <laughs> they they have got <laughs> no, they no, have no, got definitely. more about them. You can't. I think you can't. I think you can't underestimate them at all. I don't think we should discredit them by any means. I'm not trying to say they're a bad team. Um, but I think some of the some of the individuals in the team elevate their unit as a whole. I think there are definitely weaknesses that can be kind of masked a little bit. I'd say they're probably less of a complete unit as as what you'd see at Brentford. I think that's fair to say. It, it's not necessarily being negative. It's just trying to point out, and also too, you have to. We're also trying to look at this in in ways to kind of discuss some weaknesses for Brentford. So you're going to naturally look at that side of the mm. game too. Um, it's not so much they're they're a bad team by any means. No, no, yeah. So I think, yeah. Let's just um, just switch up a little bit on the on the positive side of things. I think um, from what we've, yeah, from the last three games, I, I don't think I've seen much that, um, as I mentioned at the outset, I, I don't think there's too much I've seen in these last three games that have um, that have alarmed me or, or surprised me in any way. And I think maybe that's um, indicative of what this team is. I think they are slightly predictable, and that. Um, I think they play out in very obvious ways. I think um, the way they, their routes to attack are quite are quite obvious as well. We know that the ball's going to try and go wide to to the guys, um, the the attacking threats out wide. Um, I think the midfield, without I think Billings, obviously the one that pushes on a little bit more advanced. But behind him, I'm, what I've seen of Ben Pearson and Jefferson Lerma just sat there, and you've got four at the back. You've got those two sitting in front. I think that's. I think it's quite pedestrian I don't think that's yeah. adventurous enough and I think they both want the ball to feet I don't think anyone's moving beyond um Billing can on that next line Billing's just sort of there trying to trying to pick up the ball and he's even getting frustrated in these last few games so without Wilshire in that midfield and even when he plays I think they still suffer with this a little bit it's, it's just there's a lot of passes going on and they're not really penetrating enough for how much possession they're probably having yeah I don't know I, Bournemouth the they have that reputation, don't they, of being quite a tidy kind of ball-playing football team, especially under how they kind of have those principles they stick to. I just don't know if you see the incisiveness enough from them in those areas anymore. Um, obviously, Billing can be a threat. He's quite a he's quite an unorthodox forward midfielder to play against, doesn't he? he? Kind of gets into some different positions, and he's quite a rangy, quite a rangy guy. He's got a decent decent passing in too. He can play from quite deep as well. But they're not they're not so much players that are going to be threading in those wingers as much. And I, I don't know. It's just quite a weird it's quite a weird system. I don't I don't really see them. 
just I don't really see them penetrating much, especially through the middle. I think a lot of that threat just comes from that left hand side and Danjuma and you know, maybe a little bit from the right hand side too. But I think if you're if you're patient, I don't think it's overly difficult to kind of make it make it really hard for the, for them to break those lines. If you have some if you have some kind of structure in your in your shape, your defensive shape, which Brentford do, especially with that back three, I think it makes it really difficult for Bournemouth to play. Um, and I guess that kind of goes back to us talking about the kind of strengths of that three at the back system, that three five two. But I do think it's a bad matchup for Bournemouth because they are going to kind of rely on those fundamentals of playing out wide. And if you if you play that system well, you're going to negate that quite quickly and kind of force them into playing it a little bit more centrally at times too. And that's to me where they kind of struggle to to get forward. I'm just going to throw this at you quickly now, um, like psychological edges. I know we were we've spoken a bit about this in the last couple of times we've chatted. Just how much how much these do, um, how much these do bear on games, and how much they, how much just how much weight to give them really. But I think at times like this, um, this is when they come into play. So Brentford, yeah. looking back at the last two games this season, um, beat them two one at home and just beat them with ten men at the Vitality. Um, Tinder was manager in the first one, I believe. It's a long time ago now. Woodgates um, mm. took charge of the second. Um, I just, I think what's um, coming out of Bournemouth now is like you've got Woodgate there, you've got Gary O'Neill, you've got Joe Jordan. There's a lot of like coaches there. There's a lot of voices. There's a lot of pressure. Um, whether they are all sort of going in the same direction is yeah, we'll never know. But I, I think that sort of pressure and those names and that kind of thing that sort of pushes you into playing a certain way and behaving in a certain way. And, and maybe there isn't enough of, um, maybe there isn't enough something fresh. I, I don't know, but where, where do you, how do you think Woodgate's feeling like mentality wise coming into this? Do you think he's got, do you think he's got this or is this, do you think this is like a step too far? I don't, I mean, it's a difficult, it's a difficult one. I don't know exactly where you're coming from. I think, I think if you would get, you're not feeling. I mean, you definitely feel like the underdog in this situation. I think that's what you play off, isn't it? I think you kind of. But that's what I was getting at. Like, how, do they lift that group that I was just displaying? Do you think they can go into a, a semi-final against Brentford acting like the underdog? I don't think they can. Yeah, I don't. I don't like the chances of doing so. To be honest with you, no. I, I think. I think you're probably right on that front. I think self-assessment is definitely a big part of it, especially coming to these sort of games. But. You know, off, maybe if there's any chance of doing so, it's coming off the back of three defeats. They might feel that they've got to be a little bit more reserved at first. But yeah, no, I, I do think you're right. But if you're talking about mentality, and again, we kind of touch back on these intangibles, which is hard for us to do in some ways because you're trying to you're trying to analyze something that you're not really getting the the raw data feedback to kind of talk about. But I think when you go back and watch the games, um, you, you kind of get an understanding of the kind of you can kind of read the room a little bit, can't you? You kind of get the temperature and. I do think there's going to be a frailty there, and I think Woodgate's kind of tenureship still feels very, even with the positives, it still feels very fickle to me, um, or brittle, I should say. Sorry, it, it doesn't feel like there's a real kind of confidence in there yet. I think that's kind of come through in those last three games, especially. So, in terms of approach, I really don't know how they're gonna how they're gonna do so in terms of mentality, but. I do think there's a weakness there. Um, and as you say, there's so many factors that play a part that the kind of head-to-heads this season, their last three fixtures, you know, they've had a rough start to the season. That's hard not to play in the mind. And I think you do have to look into these things. And I think if you're talking from a coaching perspective too, you have to look at these things because it's a fact you can you can try and consider, you can try and capitalise on these frailties and these weaknesses. And 
if you're a Bournemouth player coming into this game, it, you can't just you can't erase everything that's happened this season and try and start fresh in the playoffs. It all it all you know plays a part. It all has some level of weight in your mind coming into it. And if you kind of look at the two teams and you match them up, I, I think you definitely feel Bournemouth have more of the kind of issues to overcome in that sense, which just allows you guys to kind of get on with your game a little bit more and it, it elevates you. So you have to overcome things. And I think if you're not looking at if you're if you're kind of making decisions at Bournemouth and you're not looking at them as underdogs, then I think you're doing a little bit of a disservice in terms of winning that game because I think they have to approach it pragmatically to an extent. Mm. Yeah, I agree. What do you think? Do you, do you, how do you feel on, 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 on that situation yourself? I think um, I think they're quite confused as an outfit. I think they... Yeah. They're in a transition, spent, aren't they? They're yeah. in like a weird phase to be in the playoff situation right now, it feels like. Yeah, so I guess if you're looking at within the group, if you were there internally, you'll think you're the best team. In, I think they'd have come down and thinking they're the best team in the league. They'd have probably won the league. That that would have been the man, the mindset of the team, like the squad and the group. Um, they'd think that they should be up there with Norwich. Um, they've been a Premier League team for ages. They think they've got Premier League quality players throughout the squad, um, and they've they've kept a team which um, I mean. I, I think they should have gone down earlier. I don't think they've been a good team for years, actually. Not a strong team, anyway, especially not from a defensive point of view. But they've um, they've kept all of those players together. So now you that's why you, you just get cocky and you say, oh, OK, Tyndall, you've not coached before. Yeah. <laughs> you can just take this team and it will take care of itself. We don't need to do too much here. It doesn't really matter about the coach. We've got the players. And maybe they thought he was, it was his time. Um, anyway, that was... That I think was also, there, too, sorry. I think also, too, this is, this is, a, this is kind of... This is one of the issues when you have such investment in a single manager or, or coach like Eddie Howe too. It's really hard to overcome that transition afterwards. And I, I think it may, it put them in a position where they were just trying to replicate that as much as possible through hiring Tyndall, hoping it'd be kind of like a less, that he'd be able to implement some of those kind of aspects that Howe brought to the team. And it's kind of a, an easier transition. But when that didn't work, they kind of really had to change focus and obviously bringing in Woodgate. They've had some success, but it does feel like they're in a very in-between phase in terms of, no one's particularly confident that Woodgate's going to be there next summer uh, in a lot of ways, even though there's been that success and there's lots to do in recruitment. It just feels like it's all come very quickly for Bournemouth. Almost mm. feels like they're not quite prepared for it. Personally, that's kind of the, inter- that's kind of the impression I get. Um, I know they've earned their spot there through their, obviously through their games, but it's been a very kind of turbulent season for a team that's been quite used to consistency in terms of kind of personnel behind the scenes. So there's a lot of factors at play for them right now. Mm, yeah I, I think that's what I'm kind of getting at like um, Howe's obviously gone but if you're trying to just plug and play with what Howe's doing what was was what Howe was doing that great anyway I mean it was it's it's obviously got you relegated is it should that be enough to see you up I don't know not sure I don't think it is I think Norwich had to improve again to to dominate this world and then Woodgate comes in and I think Woodgate's coming in selling that um yeah, maybe maybe a little bit of what he did at Borough. I don't know how much, but he's saying things like, "This is uh, this team should be. I should be getting this team up there. Like we should be challenging for the automatics." It's just all very positive, but I'm not sure how positive it actually really is. And then that sense of self, like what you're talking about, like self reflection. Can you actually look at this team and say that mm, maybe maybe we should actually ease back, or maybe we should have long periods of this game where we just let Brentford have the ball and see if we can stop them? But Again, as we'll probably get onto in a bit, I start talking about a little bit more like how they how they are in and out of possession. I don't think I don't think they're good enough without the ball to no. let Brentford do that. And we saw in the game that we played uh, with ten men. I mean, we 
we cruised past them we cruised through them as if they weren't there at times and i think that comes down to what what they have at the back and it might be it might it may be a player that is quite pivotal for them ben pearson someone i wouldn't think suits in the possession game well but if you're looking at two games like two individual matches and you're trying to get through to a final then maybe he comes into play but from a mentality perspective no I, I think it's a bit confused with Woodgate and I'm not sure they've got it spot on but again that's just uh, my opinion it could be it could be that he's um, exactly what they need and they they cruise back to automatic promotion yeah I mean it's it is possible but I just think there's just so many there's so many unknowns of Bournemouth right now I think they're, they're quite hard to they're quite hard to kind of put your finger on exactly where they are because so much is going on but I think they've got. I know what you're saying about not not maybe being so confident off the ball in terms of letting letting Brentford have possession, but I almost mean I'm not sure how much when you watch the games it's hard to tell how much Bournemouth are really game planning for opposition and how much of it is just as I said improvised and like it's the same thing continued. Do you know what I mean? Like it comes across pretty quickly, doesn't it? Um, and I think if you if you don't do so in these sorts of matches, you're really and obviously I'm 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 just kind of making a broad guess here I'm sure they're doing some preparation don't get me wrong but I'm not sure you're going to see enough on the day um, in terms of giving Brentford that respect to set a game plan solely around say stopping Brentford doing what they do that that is not it's not that's not a bad strategy for a team that is worse than Brentford they, they just to me they're just they're not as good of a team um, and I don't just mean that in player to player I mean you're looking at how a team operates as a squad as a unit how how they're kind of fitting in with that system and how, how the coach is going to make their adjustments and I think you're just further along the process so I, I don't think it's a negative move to to adapt and try and compensate for some of those deficiencies but I'm not convinced we'll see it. I think we'll probably see uh, a very similar approach from Bournemouth that we've seen throughout the season where they kind of get these players into the field there's a little bit of freedom but you're kind of lacking a little bit of structure and that them sort them sort of teams they can go both ways and you've, you've seen that recently with the run they've had positive and negative it's a hard one to predict because you never quite know what you're going to get from them whereas someone like Brentford you're always relatively confident this kind of performance you're going to see and there are ups and downs and there are changes that are made within there but you very much know kind of what's coming uh, and that can be a, that can be a good thing especially for um, like a playoff team and a, a team that's got to compete in these sorts of games. Yeah, it's interesting. I messaged a, a Brentford sporting friend earlier before this, and I was asking how he was feeling about it going in, and he said it's going to be a he said it's a coin flip, basically fifty fifty um, between the two teams. Um, he was also looking at he thinks he was of the mindset that he thinks they've got a stronger squad as well, and I'm I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if the, I don't know if it is a coin flip. I think it's probably slightly in Brentford's favour just because of yeah. this new system, this um, this organisation that Brentford have found themselves into now. I think. Um, I think forwards, I think I wouldn't swap Solanke for Tony. Um, I think in midfield, I think that with Norgard sitting deeper, I'd, I wouldn't swap Ben Pearson for Norgard. No. There's a, there's just a, you're starting to look at the matchups between the two teams. I think there's a couple of areas where I, th- I think Bournemouth are um, exceptional, but with how much work they're going to have to do on the other side of the game, that I don't know if they're going to have the basis for the attack to see them through. Jefferson Lerma also is a, is a disaster waiting to happen. Um, in a playoff game, I, I just see him getting heated. And I, I know this. I know this is pretty far away from talking about kind of more tactical side of the game and looking at these kind of areas. No, bring it know. on. But I mean, Jefferson Lerma, he is obviously is a walking yellow card. But he's 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 a strange character. He he does get wrapped up. And when we played them, he was an absolute he's an absolute nightmare. And actually, that's something we should probably touch on too. Is uh, Bournemouth's use of the dark arts? That's something that was. Uh, 
prevalent under Eddie Howe. And it hasn't gone away uh, completely either. And, and Jefferson Lerner is definitely one of those guys, uh, which is worth keeping an eye on because I, I do feel like with the cameras on in playoff football, he, he could have an impact in the game that could be pretty negative. It could be positive too, but there's a good chance that he's, uh, he's an issue for Bournemouth. Uh, if you ask mm. me, but um, these these are all things you got to consider, and that's the thing. That's the thing that's beautiful about the playoffs, isn't it? There's so many factors, and there's so many things going on. There's so many moving parts, uh, and everything just gets heightened, and elevated. But if you're talking about strength of squad, I don't look at Bournemouth and think they're massively they're massively better than Brentford by any means. I think even if you talk to Bournemouth fans too, I've, I've spoken to a few, and they've all or most of them have had kind of the same opinion that a lot of their players are quite over talked about overrated I think a lot of that too comes down to Bournemouth for a while were kind of the, the darlings of the Premier League weren't they you know Eddie Howe and, and Bournemouth and all these players that are kind of always talked about so positively but they've had a lot of misses in terms of their recruitment their squad building too um, they've still got a few of those guys hanging around and I think you look through some of that some of those areas and that back line that centre back area I don't think it's particularly strong I don't think it's even really comparable to Brentford in that respect yeah there's a lot to unpack in this in this squad and I just will touch on Lerma a little bit just before I move um, move on to some of maybe how they're going to set up and um, some ideas I have. But just quickly on Lerma, if you watch him a lot, I don't think he he doesn't he wants a lot of time on the ball. Like he's very tidy on it and he's good and I think he can pick a pass forwards and and move it well. But I'm not sure he's good enough. Um, uh, just maybe ball wing or, or interceptions or just actually just some of the awareness to command that position. But he, d- he doesn't like any contact at all. He just doesn't like anyone touching him. He doesn't. Want, he doesn't want any of it. I don't think he's good at separating himself away from players. Um, um, I think he probably might. Yeah, I, I probably could eat my words here, but I think he's one of the ones that I think are slightly on that overrated like area about what he actually does um, and really how good think, he is at it. I really think too. It's not. Like when you're when you're kind of when you're strategizing these sorts of games, you you should never be beyond looking at someone like Jefferson Lerma and thinking, okay, how do we make this guy a problem for Bournemouth? How do you how do you capitalize on his mental frailties? Because he does have, I mean, part of it is his get him gaming the system. He likes to try and he likes to take those dives, and it's not just to get it's not just to get the opposition booked, it's to get them wound up, it's to get them frustrated. We fell for it massively, and Jefferson Lerma won that game against against us for Bournemouth because of his because of his behaviour. That's just what he does. But you, but you know it coming into the game. So you have to think about how do you use it to your advantage. And if you get if you get on Jefferson Lerma early and you get him starting that sort of game early on, but as long as your squad's aware of it, as long as your team are you know, properly briefed on how this game is going to plan out, pan out with him, you can use it to your advantage. And I, I think those sorts of players in your team, they can, they can really cause you issues. And I look at playoff situations, as I said, I feel like with the heightened emotions of everything, I'd be looking at that as an, an area to exploit. Um, both kind of with the kind of physical... It's not that he... I, say, I was going to say frailty, the deficiencies, but it's not that he's actually not a physical player. He just decides not to be. But I, I'd look to kind of exploit that as much as possible. I'd try and make him... I try and make him rattle from from very early on because I think that's definitely something you can capitalise on. And any small margins, any sort of any sort of benefit you can draw from those sorts of things, why not? Yeah, I think I agree. I think um, it's something to focus on for sure. For sure, definitely the mentality or or the the way um, players sort of view the game or how they're how they're experiencing it. Um, Especially with an aggressive press that you can have in that midfield area too. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it's good to sort of move into that. That's probably a nice, um, nice opportunity too. So let's talk. I think I think let's talk about Bournemouth in possession a little bit. So you, you see a lot of them. Um, we'll use Cook and um, uh, who's Cook next to often Carter Vickers at the moment. Sorry, yeah, K 
Cam Carter Vickers. So they're, they're comfortable on the ball. They're nice on the ball, but I think they just want to move it around out to the to the left uh, left back or right back, and um, you, you get that little U shape, and then. Lerma's either in midfield or more recently Pearson has been with him and the model is just to get out wide it, it can go back it can be very patient and then it can go into the midfielder but once he goes into the, that midfielder I'm not sure that the next plan is actually that that set in stone I, I think it it can sometimes just go back to the back line just for no reason and I don't think it's doing it out of patience to get separation for the midfielders I think it's just because that's that's just what they can there's just nothing else really on and it's not it's not um it's it's not worked well enough throughout the team to get them forwards often enough and I think that shows in like how many passes they're making and how like if you look at final third passes they're nowhere near as high as some of the other I think they're they're I mean look they're ahead of Brentford but I think there's other teams you'd be quite surprised at making more final third passes than and it's also the area of final third passes isn't it it's where you're yeah. passing into the final third and I think that's something with with Bournemouth He's, They've, they struggle to they struggle to progress that ball centrally. And Solanke mm. can be quite isolated at times because he's not really kind of getting that. He's not really getting fed from midfield. He's having to kind of play off these kind of balls into the box from wide. And it's, I think, as you say, I think that's why their short passes are so high because there's so much of that possession just recycled into midfield and back out wide. And it's just yeah, exactly. continuing back and forwards and this kind of this yeah as you said this U shape around the back and then midfield. There's no real there's no real burst. There's no real drive. And they're trying to maybe found a little bit of that with billing but it's still not quite it's still not quite where they'd want to be I'd assume mm. yeah so I, I think it's I just describe it as lots of safe possession I think they're yeah. just very comfortable and sat there and I don't think it's I don't think there's enough purpose behind it it looks good and it's um, effective at sort of retaining the ball and, and it's comfortable but there has to be a bit more of a plan or what to do with it and I, that's why I don't think they develop like if it's if you're uh, all teams are good at pressing now. I think it's, it's a big part of all teams. So especially when you're seeing like Stoke did this quite effectively, they allowed the back four to have it. But Stoke obviously pressed with the two. Brentford are pressing with two now at the full, at the tip of the point. Um, behind them, you're getting a set, an attacking midfielder, which is Fosu Stoke. I can't remember who Stoke did it well, but they had um, Lerma marked well. Like that route from the centre backs into Lerma was blocked, so it has to go wide. Um, the wing backs are pushing on and marking the the full backs, and it just it doesn't go anywhere. It, it's sort of it has to be very precise to get through that first um, that first phase of um, the press or on and them in possession. And that's where I think they're struggling. They haven't really developed that that direct ball yeah. that beats that or or the the quick three passes. And they they can do it. They, they, you sometimes see really good wide triangles from them, and then they will move up the field. But or Dan Juma will get free, and it will get through to him. But it's not often enough. So I think the the way Brentford is set up, and the way this back four plays, I, I'm I've been thinking about this, looking at these teams for a while, and I, I I can't get my head around them going into these two matches playing this four three three. And it's something I've been thinking about for a while. I think Brentford had big issues with this four three three system, and teams pressing them with three five two or or, or um, Three four one two, for instance, or just have that diamond at the pivot at the, te- at the top of the team, and I, I think we might actually see Bournemouth change their shape and go back to the three five two or three four one two and match up with Brentford a little bit. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, if you're looking from a Bournemouth perspective, I think why not? I think if you can throw a curveball and you're relatively comfortable. Mm. The only thing is, I, I don't know. I was very. It makes sense on paper. But I was very unconvinced by Bournemouth three five two at the same time. Yeah, no, I just want to throw that in. I don't think um, I don't think it's exceptional. I don't think it's the. Fa- I'm not. I don't think I'm uh, raising it because I think um, it's it's the best version of them. But I think this four three three has severe weaknesses and deficiencies yeah. against the systems that has come up very recently in um, terms of Brentford twice, 
mm-hmm. which is going to come against Brentford again and Stoke. And I think um, it gives them a bit more because you're just talking about like numer- uh, numerical super- uh, superiority in these zones. So the two up against Bournemouth's back two, if you think about the centre-backs, it's just there's an easy match-up there. And then you're looking at the wing-backs pushing on. It's too easy to stifle them and keep most of the game played in that third, if you see what I mean. It kind of comes back to what we were saying earlier, though, doesn't it, about how do they view themselves in the situation, mm, do they? Exactly, I mean, yeah. it's very... It's very much within Woodgate's wheelhouse to go back to that three at the back. I'd say because we've seen it, we've seen it at, at Bournemouth earlier on. We've seen it at Middlesbrough. He does like it. I, I just think, yeah, it's, it's an interesting. It's a good point. I'm just trying, I'm just trying to work out in my head now how likely it is. I don't. I mean, I think also too. I think the fact that you've got that recent, they've got that recent defeat to you guys. That may, that may allow, that kind of may prompt them to to react a little bit quicker because they haven't kind of. It, not too much time has passed between now and then. It's gone quite badly for them, so it, I don't think it should be overlooked by them. And honestly, if I'm talking, if I'm thinking from a Bournemouth perspective, I think I fancy their chances of winning more. So should they do that? Even though I think it does make them a much less threatening team, I do think it just kind of it allows them a little bit more stability. Even though really, it's just you kind of defensive improvements are coming from just allocating more numbers rather than having a, a better game plan in some ways because that that back three could still be exposed. But I think it does make it difficult for Brentford. It makes you look, makes it a little bit harder if you progress the ball. It just doesn't give you quite that advantage that you were finding by having the likes of Fosu a little bit freer. He's, he's now mm. a little bit easy to pick up. And, you know, maybe that back three is able to contain your front two a little bit more. Maybe it works more for them, but it will take them in, in mm. kind of accepting that they're going to be a little less dominant in possession and have a little bit less time on the ball, I think. So I don't think they're very good at kind of breaking those lines and progressing the ball from that back three. Mm, yeah, see, I think I'm talking you around and it making sense. But um, mm. the reason I think, um, <laughs> another reason I think they'll do this is like, they'll look at how many, they'll assess this. They'll know how many chances they conceded against Stoke, against Brentford. Um, we just know how hard it is. I say a lot how hard it is to play four through three effectively, and just this three five two system is it's, it's everywhere now. Like a lot of teams yeah. are playing it, and and I think watching if they, if they've had any sense, they'll watch and and they'll see the games where Brentford have struggled, and it's playing against wing backs themselves. I think this wing back system gives you an advantage over four three three because you're strong in the wide areas, and four three three is weak in the wide areas or can be weak. Um, how do you nullify that? I mean, you, you've just got to you've got to you've got to accept yourself that um, actually they might be stronger than us through the thirds we we have to shore this thing up here so and uh, what I'll go on to as well I, I I don't like any of their I don't like any of their defenders but in a pair basically I'm not no. a fan of I don't like seeing Cameron Vickers and Cook um, as a pair defending against anyone in this league really I'm not I'm not keen on that and then even Mepham coming in Mepham and um, Carter Vickers as a pair I don't like that I, I don't like Mepham and Cook together the one the problem they have really is they've got too many people bogging down the, the process of Kelly moving into centre back I think yeah. Kelly's they're probably at best this is what happens when you just buy someone and I, I know he had a really long year injured actually I think he was out for ages but he looked he looked phenomenal. I think it was, was it Forest? I can't remember they got him from Munchley. I'm not sure. Sorry, yeah, it was it was Bristol. Yeah. Bristol City actually, yes. Yeah, sorry, it was another team in red, yeah. yeah. Um But yeah, he looked like the next one in. But the problem is when you have Cook, um, an experienced pro there, that progression route's not there. Um you've brought in Carter Vickers, Cook plays on the left, it's it's all a bit dodgy. So I think what they might do is go back to Mepham, Cook, and Carter Vickers as a three, or Kelly as that other three as a left side centre back. I will say I do think a back, I do think a three at, back, at the back system is the best way to beat this Brentford team. Um, mm, for sure, I think mainly 
I think it's a different problem than what you were facing previously, mind. I think obviously you had some you had some struggles when facing that that three kind of three five two or three four three sort of system um, when you were playing previously uh, in terms of kind of how that matchup was with your four three three. But I do kind of think too. I think if you're looking at how do you stop Brentford, you want to you want to you want to disrupt that front two pairing, don't you? Really, that's kind of where you've kind of had some success recently. How do you? Obviously, you could be looking at how to stop Tony play. I think when you're coming up against a back three, for me personally, the last thing I want to see when I've got my teams playing a back three is your forwards playing into that back three, playing up against mm-hmm. that back three and allowing them to have that numerical advantage. You need to. You need to find ways to exploit the space they're giving up by playing that central three defenders. And if you've got two forwards just playing up tight to their, their back three, then you know you're not really finding that space. You're not really creating too many problems for them. It's quite easy for them to contain. I'd much rather see personally for me every time. I'd much rather see one up front against a back three because it allows you to kind of operate in some other areas. And I don't really see. I'm not really sure if I see Brentford doing that if they have that too. I think they probably stick. They're not. They're not so much a. There's not so much a forward you expect to drop off as much and, and kind of play in those deeper areas. Even though Tony can, you really want him as forward as possible, and I think that'd be a way to disrupt Brentford. So whilst mm. I don't think it'd be necessarily the best move offensively from Bournemouth, I think it would be something that could make it difficult for you guys. Um, and in a playoff game, it's it's pretty pretty likely that a team's going to take the safe option. Mm, you're you're kind of caught in two minds, I guess, but. Um, just on Tony a little bit as well. I think um, the more and more we see the relationship between him and Force on the field, I think um, Force is quicker than Tony, and he's also better at travelling with the ball over long distances. Um, it's one of Tony's big weaknesses. I think is just driving with the ball and that close control. He doesn't have that that long rangey running like a Watkins from last yeah. season. And Force is good at Force is quicker in that sense. So what we're seeing a lot is. Um, Force being on the on the last line and just stretching beyond, and then maybe cutting the ball back into the box or getting those one on one charges himself. I mean, Tony does get them as well, but I think there's a bit more of an understanding that Tony's better in the the bat to goal stuff early on, get the move going, and then moving it wide or or inside to force, and him being the link instead. Yeah. So I think there is a little bit of that, but and then, that's what I mean. That you want to avoid that, don't you? In some ways, you do. I think I think over the over the ninety, I think there'll be enough situations where Tony can break forward and still get into the box, especially over two games. I think it will be enough. But again, if this is this is the psychology of it, it's almost like game theory, isn't it? If you're yeah. Bournemouth, I think you've got to come into this game. You can't come in with this with a back four. I don't think the four is good enough. So you go three. But then, are you left with? Are you marking? Are those three doing enough? Are they, are they going to have enough of the ball to make it worthwhile? But then again, are they marking enough players, or are they just um, distracted? And it, it's this late movement that comes into the box which they never ever pick up and before you know it you're a few goals down it's it's really hard to to place where this um where this is going to sort of make sense yeah no 100 percent. i'm actually just looking as we speak now and kind of going back and trying to look at bournemouth's last last well, yeah, time bournemouth so used I, a three i the can back. tell it's you it was, QPR, um, they did it i think well yeah so i think from the outset i think we saw a little bit of against wickham i was watching their wickham game and i think there was a phase i think towards the end maybe the last Maybe something like the last 20 minutes or something like that. I think there was a bit of extra time. Like, White Scale's quite good because it has all of the time involved. So you see, like, the injury time of what they're playing. But I think there was a long period they did it against um, Wickham. Um, they didn't generate many shots. I think just Wick- the, the outset, this is such a direct team and physical, and they struggled against that. Um, prior to that, yeah, I think it was QPR that they um, played it. Um, 
They've also uh, also another sorry, one to Cardiff consider. as well. They well, I think this is what happened. Yeah, just let me sorry. just go into this quickly. It was Cardiff, it wasn't it? I think before QPR, I think there was a bit of it against Cardiff, and I think they lost. And this is why I think I think um, they've moved away from this because there was a string of results where they were just they were just coming out on the wrong side of these. I think yeah. I think they weren't creative enough. I think you alluded to this earlier that it it does if you don't get it right, um, it can stifle your team, and you just you just have to get your personnel right with this. But um, they lost to Cardiff. I think they lost to QPR as well. They lost yeah. to Dar. Um, they drew with Luton I think there was a draw with Millwall I think the idea within the camp would have been that these games like we should be on top of these games but the formation we play might be prohibitive so they've moved away and back to the 4 3 to get a bit more open but yeah sorry what was your what was well your I was going to say they also have toyed a little bit with the four four two as well but maybe that's kind of more of a chase in the game situation but mm. just looking at kind of them playing against QPR and just kind of looking at their passing that quickly too just trying to see how their kind of roots forward playing against a team that's also playing that three at the back system they're really not finding any success or any joy in breaking those lines it is just a a continual chain between that back three and the wing backs and that's exactly exactly what you fear of that's what you fear to to see when your team is playing that system because it can just be a route to nowhere and you know useless possession and and eventually one of those players might make a mistake and it can cost you a goal and it can it can stifle your attack too so it's it's really going to be a tough choice. I don't particularly like either option for them in some ways. Um, and I don't know, maybe... I think, yeah, I, go on, just, um, just to pick up on your point, because I think you've just um, gone on to a good one. I think I think the idea of this, the switch to maybe 4-3-3 is because you, the, the number of teams playing like back threes or back fives in the league is just going up and up. So if you're, if you're coming up against them and just neutralising it and being the same yourself, I think that's why we stuck with 4-3-3 for so long, because... You need to just if you don't do anything different in these games, they're all going to finish one-one or nil-nil. You have yeah. to you have to kind of open them up a little bit so that um, the goals can be scored. Otherwise, it's just like really, really low scoring, and um, no one's giving away any chances, and nothing happens. But yeah, sorry. sorry well, no, that's here. that's no, it's spot on. And I'd say probably a criticism of if you're kind of talking about how Bournemouth could have improved or adapted to that situation, they mm. don't change they don't change too much within the game. Um, they don't adapt no, shape no. too much, and they do. If Lloyd, if Kelly's playing left back, they do really. Uh, they do really have the option to to switch that back three and tuck him in a little bit more, and then allow that kind of left sided player to to play a little bit deeper. And I know obviously it's Dan Juma a lot of times. So they might not want to take that threat away, but they could be a little bit more flexible mid game. We haven't really seen that too much. It, obviously, they might switch to that back three if they're chasing the game, and they might feel more comfortable doing that because they're kind of throwing things forward. It's a much different three at the back system, but. When it comes to when it comes to Brentford, you, you kind of expect them or want them to go into this game thinking, how can we have that flexibility to change situationally and adapt to what Brentford do? And you don't have to stick to. The, I mean, we all know you don't have to go out there in a four-two-three-one and stick to that for ninety minutes. You've got the op- opportunity to be flexible. And these are very mm. rigid terms we're using to describe positions that can be quite yeah. fluid depending on the use of the team. But I do think when when you talk about Bournemouth, you not see you do look at them and they do very much play within their shape for large portions. Whereas Brentford, you might have a little bit of movement. You've got the likes of Fosu who's able to to pick up some different areas and, and be able to play a little bit more expansively and a little bit more varied. And that can change game to game. But I think with Bournemouth, they like to stay within that shape and it's, it can feel quite rigid at times. And I think that's exactly mm. what you want to avoid when you're playing that back three is that rigidity and and just unexpansiveness that you kind of can get sucked into by playing a system that relies on that deep possession mm. yeah I think we've I think we've discussed well um uh, the sort of the back line and what what could be posed and um maybe some of the options they have and um our likes and dislikes of those bits um yeah. I think we looked at the midfield as well like um 
we it's it's I think if they don't go the down the back three route, they'll probably I think Pearson will play a little bit in these games just to try and shore the games up a little bit. Um out wide we know it's probably going to be Brooks and Dan Juma, depending on fitness. Um, I, I don't think they'll start with Stanislas. I think he'll be maybe used as impact. And then maybe we should just discuss a little bit about Solanke. Like, sure. um, he's, uh, one question. He's had a mid- did, did, Brooks yeah. play, did Brooks play narrow in, in the last game? Did he play centrally for them? Uh, I don't think he did. No. Uh, against, he was a Stoke. Yeah, yeah. No, he came, yeah, he played off the right. Um, okay. He found himself central a little bit, but I wouldn't I would not as a starting point. I mean, it's just what he does, you know, yeah. like sort of drifting inside and I think he actually did well to give to pick up the ball in midfield a little bit and try and get them going, but it was just it was all, it was almost like it wasn't enough. Like they needed more um because Stoke were just so strong and just defensively in um, yeah. in all areas it wasn't enough. But but yeah, I, th- I think slowly move on to Solanke a little bit. He's um uh he's been at Watford a couple of seasons now. I think this is um this is a big moment for him. I, I I think um, if they don't get promoted, uh, I don't know who's. I don't know if people are coming in for him and saying that this is a player I want to lead my line in the Premier League. I'm not sure there's going to be many of those. Um, depending on moves, you don't know who's desperate or who wants a, who needs to replace what. But I can't see any of the promoted teams looking at him and thinking that's that's their guy. If you see what I mean. No, um, I agree. Um, his map's good. It's it's okay. I think you see a lot of his shot map. Like there's a lot of those central shots. Um, I just don't know. I, I think he could have um, he could have a big say in this. I think he he works. He does work hard. I think he comes deep. He tries to pick up the ball and um, he tries to move it. I, I'm just not sure that we are talking. Well, we're obviously talking about one of the better strikers in the league. Like that's that's clear. But are we talking about a player that's a Premier League standard player that's stepping down, or this is like his top level? It's really hard to hard to place Solanke. Like where do you where do you sort of view? I him? think. I think I really place Solanke. This is kind of around his ceiling for me. Um, I think I think the difficulty is this, this. This is always a situation for players at this level. Is it's it's not just about making that step up and playing against better opponents. It's also he's not he's not a top six player right now, is he? That's not where he, that's not what his level is. And I think he suits the sort of game, the sort of style of play which is which comes from a more possession based a little bit more of a dominant team uh, a little bit more of an aggressive team I think naturally when you make that step up to the Premier League it's less likely he's going to be playing within that because he's going to be playing for a team that's most likely fighting for survival and he's going to have to be he's going to be expected to do a lot more um, his game's going to have to adapt and I think the strong point of his game is being in a team that's going to create a lot of chances and have a bit of freedom in those kind of wide areas and allow him to to come into play and and get shots away and naturally he's just not going to have that same amount in the in the Premier League or in a team kind of around where Bournemouth have been when they're in the Premier League so this does feel like a good level for him because of that um, he can be dangerous of course I mean he scored he scored 15 odd goals this season and he can contribute there and as you say his shot map's pretty varied he's able to get shots from all over the box and that's what he wants he wants that service and he wants to be able to kind of be active in the penalty area um, but I, I do see that I do feel like it's quite difficult for him to kind of take that next step up without adding a few kind of other elements to his game. But it's, it, I mean, striker I think is one of the most difficult positions to translate that production and the kind of output into the into the next level because of how how much the things change around you. And, and strikers get quite comfortable within those systems and those those styles of play. It's difficult to keep switching between them and find that consistency in, in performance. Yeah, so he's 23 now. Um, he's had a few seasons. I mean, he's had one of the. He was involved with like the big World Cup teams a few years ago, and 
He's um, it's not like he's a, a fresh young player, and I think no. that's what can happen. Like you can talk about these players as in like he's still new on the scene, but he's played a lot of football over the last couple of years now. Um, I obviously not as much as Tony, and it's not really you wouldn't really talk about him the same breath as Tony. Like Tony's sort of dominated the lower leagues for a while now, um, and just a different type of player, like um, a little bit wirier, um, maybe a bit quicker and a little bit more explosive in terms of just getting away and a bit maybe slightly better better technically I think um, just on the eye just looks a little bit tighter and sharper but doesn't quite have the same strength and maybe that's why he is a bit quicker because he's not so not so physical um, I'm, I'm just interested to just think about is this he could have a big say on the final of course but or the semi-final sorry but I, I, I wouldn't what I'm trying to get at is he, I think he's absolutely going to play there's no way I'd be looking at Shane Long and Surridge and thinking those are my guys to start I think Solanke's a starting for me, but is that is that enough? And have they, have they actually got enough in the forward lines to to see them through this? I think that's what I'm getting at. I think this is this is what I feel with Bournemouth in general, though. I don't, you know, Tony, you know, Tony's going to be brought into play. You know how how Brentford are going to use him. You know it's going to be effective. But I think with Solanke, it can it can vary, and it's so much of it relies upon that the success of the wide men because of the fact that midfield just doesn't really have a consistent way of finding Solanke, and Solanke is not necessarily someone that's going to be you know, get, get fed the ball and break through one on one and, and beat the keeper. He's more of a he's more of a player that likes to operate in that penalty area, and he he can carry the ball, but there's just no real route for him to do so at, at Bournemouth at the moment. And there have been a couple of occasions. I know he's got a few goals from from actually kind of a little bit outside the box. And he's had some some deeper shots, but he's not the player that you expect to kind of pick up the ball and create for himself too much. So I think it all kind of depends on how how those wide guys operate, and if they're if they're suppressed in some way. It instantly kind of not nullifies Solanke, but it definitely limits his effectiveness. Whereas someone like Tony, I thought you've got a nice variation of, of of ways to get the ball to him now, and that mm. just kind of that that's the difference for me uh, in terms of kind of threat in this one. Again, not trying to not sound too down on Bournemouth. Maybe it's time to start talking about some of their positives, and um, we'll move on to just outlining weaknesses or solidifying what you think are the weaknesses. But. Um, uh, I'll let you go first. What would you what would you what would you say like um sort of clear positives for this team going into this matchup? I mean I think if you're looking at positives, it's hard to kind of look past Dan Juma as kind of one of the real uh positives for Bournemouth. I think that just kind of that difficult to contain threat from the from the wing, someone that can come in on side is quite quite good on both feet and he's just able to create things and it, it makes it really difficult to play against, especially if you're trying to commit players forward from fullback. That's definitely something he's managed to capitalise on uh, quite a lot this season. He's just someone that's been able to be consistently productive, especially towards the back end of the season. Um, that, that's a good, that's a good, good strong point for Bournemouth. I think the other side too. I think just their wing play in general can be an area of threat for them, uh, and something that allows them to just dominate or overpower teams at times. Uh, when you see Bournemouth play well, I feel like they always play with a lot of pace. Um, that the move this always happening at very like lots of high speed kind of movement from the wide areas, but they like to try and find those holes and they they can be tied and they can build up. But when Bournemouth are playing well, I'm seeing them run at players um, from those wide areas especially, and and that's kind of where you have to worry about Bournemouth. Um, that's kind of the main kind of threat for me, the main positives for me, and also too that does have a knock on effect as we touched on there. It allows Solanke to get involved in in the areas that he wants to, and it just allows that front three to be. To, to be productive, even though even though we've talked about how it can be a bit improvised, I think it just when you've got players with quality, you can allow them to do so, and it can it can give you rewards. And I think that's what that's what Bournemouth do. 
Mm, I think, um, yeah, the improvised thing is it's quite interesting with coaching i guess it's it's like you're sort of fostering an environment where improvisation can happen and it's not so much coordinated and coached but at least when solanke gets that ball middle uh sort of central or he's back to goal are you getting three sets of movement like an attacking midfielder and then the two wide players coming in off the flank to try and get that through pass it's like that happens at the same time i think that's that's a thing that they are strong at and i think if you're if you're not coordinated in defensive like sort of situations that and you you are um maybe i think if you've opened up and you're playing a back for yourself you, you can get ripped open by this team like yeah. this it shows out in like the non-short xg numbers 538 have got a, their non-short xg model is brilliant and it, it shows you like the teams that are sort of basically it just measures creativity and like what you're doing before the process of creating shots and it's it's really good and Bournemouth score really highly on this I think they're let down by the next phase like the shooting and the, what they're actually doing in terms mm-hmm. of these shots but everything up to that point is solid it's really really good and dependable well and with that improvisation comes unpredictability which can be hard to play against and I talk about Dan Juma there he's someone that I find just quite unpredictable he's not a lot of a lot of wingers, especially, they can fall into kind of comfort zones of how they like to beat a man or kind of areas they like to exploit. But Dan Jim is good at playing across that whole left hand side. He can come central. He can go to the byline. He can cut back. He can he can stay on the touch line. He's just very varied in his play. Uh, it makes him hard to pick up. But it does feel like maybe Solanke and kind of the players around him are starting to get a good understanding, and they they allow him to play in that manner, and it obviously works. He scored. 15, 16, 17 goals, whatever it is. And he's also been involved in the assists too. And he's he's someone that's been able to contribute a lot this season. And I, I think if you can kind of harness that energy and, and find ways to make it effective, then, yeah, it's, it's it's a must. And I think they've done a pretty good job of doing so and, and allowing him that freedom because it can be easy to to give too much structure and, and too much... Um, you know, make them force into too much of a pattern of play. But Dan Jim has got that freedom, and I don't see why you would take that away from him at this point. Mm, yeah, he's in my positive list as well. I think um, uh, from our conversation previously, when before the Watford game, we were talking about that matchup of getting him close to Janssen, and you you posed the point of whether this is Janssen being out on that right centre back position, whether that exposes him or whether it is bad for him. And I think having Jan, uh, Dan Juma come up against him for ninety minutes, we saw what happened on. I mean, how does does Janssen defend slightly differently because it is a playoff semi-final or is he as aggressive as he was in the league match? Um, I don't think he can be, I don't think he can approach the game exactly the same way as he did back then. Otherwise, (laughs) he's going to be sent off. So there's there's also that element where they can think, they know that Brentford are going to play a back three. They know Janssen is not going to be central in that back three. So there is a little bit of element of this risk of Danjuma, similar to how Ben Rahm would be last for us last season. You placing him right up against either a weak right centre back or a weaker sort of fullback, or trying to pin them back, get the ball to him as quickly as you can. Don't maybe don't um, maybe just sort of don't pass it around as slow as you can at the back. You need to be finding him early, and and uh, it did. Yeah, they got some rewards against Brentford. I think it was just the fact that they they came up against a stronger team on the day. Yeah, and that's why for me, if we're talking about kind of ways to ways for Bournemouth to approach Brentford, if you're talking about them maybe playing that back three system, if you give if you give Dan Juma some freedom in a forward area, allow him to play a little bit alongside Solanke, allow him to drift into some wide areas, and and don't kind of don't kind of commit him to playing a wing back position, just give him that little bit of freedom. That could be a difference maker for, for Bournemouth. Um, I think if you're looking at players that are going to make a difference, and that's what we're kind of talking about when we're thinking of strengths, he's definitely one that sticks out and. I mean, he's he's their guy, I think, when it comes to this game. If you're going to see a difference maker, it's probably going to be him. So that's going to have to be something that's kind of... 
I'd say that's probably the main, the, the forefront of your mind when it comes to game plan against Bournemouth is how do you stop him? That's where you start. Uh, if you're talking about adapting for them, that's kind of the first, the first point you look at. Um, and that's kind of where you move on from there, which isn't obviously it's not an easy task because no one's really successfully done it for the, throughout the season. So it's one to consider, especially when you've got that recent kind of performance from Janssen where there were some issues there. And it's partly to do with Janssen, partly to do with Dan Juma's good play. But there's definitely a factor that's got to be considered. Mm, I think as well, um, another one I had on my positives list was um, I think Fulham last year as well, like... Um, Fulham lost in the league twice to Brentford. I think outplayed in the first match, um, the second match at their place behind closed doors. That also outplayed again. Or it was, it was tight until quite late on. Um, and then uh, in the final itself, I think they were so resolute. Like they were, they were disciplined throughout the match. They they'd learned from those previous two games. It wasn't like. Um, it was. I'm probably going back onto like self awareness, and they, they looked at those other. They looked at the first two games, and they realised what they did wrong, and they weren't falling into those same traps. And they, they, they'd really learnt. And I, I think that's if if I'm watching Bournemouth come out in these two games and not learning from a being open in that four three three, the defenders not being able to cope, um, the midfielders never ever getting on top of the other midfielders. Like it, it just mm. they're not creating enough chances. If you if you can see them not learning or not changing these things that bring the game back towards them, then the, I, I think that they have to treat this as a positive because they've got this evidence now. What what are they going to do with it? And there's just obviously going to be the frustration because they've been embarrassed a little bit. Like they lost to 10 men. Um, this is a team that's just been relegated from the Premier League. I think secretly they'll know Brentford are a good team, but yeah. you have to harness that and that, that anger or that frustration has to be used um, uh, in a positive manner. Um, I th- yeah, we've spoken a lot about their attacking threats. I think the individuality of Brooks and Dan Juma and even Solanke, if he just gets going, it could be it could be blown away and it could be a couple of goals down without mm. really knowing it. But it also... It, it, I guess it's it's the same thing from Brentford's perspective as well. Um, it's just the undefendable, isn't it? Like you can, they can have the ball in an area, and they can hit one from anywhere. And Lerma has this as well. You you could you could be sort of take your eye off them for a split second, and then they've they've unleashed a strike. So that happens. Yeah, doesn't it? You can't account for every there. single thing, but you can you can weigh up you can weigh up the kind of the options and see. You can kind of pick your poison a little bit. You're going to leave. No matter what you do, you're going to leave some areas a little bit open. You're going to have to commit less to certain areas of the pitch or whatever the situation is. But I think there are definitely clear threats that you try and minimise when it comes to Bournemouth. And you kind of take the chance that someone else is going to be effective from other areas. And in doing so, you might kind of raise your chances because you're kind of limiting Dan Juma's or Solanke's to kind of lesser chances, lesser quality chances. And maybe it means you you give Janssen a little bit more help in that area. Maybe it means a little bit more defensive support. But I think adapting to that is much more likely to come from Brentford than I think it will be from Bournemouth. I think if you, any adaptation from Bournemouth, I think it's likely going to be maybe a change in shape early on, if, as you suggested, through at the back or, or perhaps something along those lines, rather than those kind of individual adjustments throughout the game. I think there's a few more weaknesses to explore, but I think in some respects we've gone through them. What other strengths we... do you feel like you, you kind of, when you look at this Bournemouth team? <sighs> yeah, I'd... I, I can't I, as I was saying from the outset I don't know much more that we can say really I, th- I think it's kind have, of wing play to look isn't at, it it's kind of wing play as well yeah, I just you have That's... to you have to look at their players yeah the, the fact that they've been in, in the Premier League they've played pressure games they've they're of a level of experience and um, of quality that they've been in big intense games before um, I I think um, 
I think the matchup, as you were saying, it suits it suits Brentford, and I, I just think there's a bit of confusion around where they probably lie in this matchup, and that they think they're probably a better team than they are, and that's going to be a negative. But at, at the same time, that confidence could be what um, comes through as a strength. Um, but yeah, the the, the play out wide, um, how dangerous they can be. I think I think Kelly, if he gets going, he could be good out on that wing as well. Just some good balls into the box. Um, uh, and yeah, just um, just they're, they're an experienced team. I think it can be easy to talk about them as like um, uh, as like this sort of failed Premier League experiment, but they are, there are some game changers in this squad. I think um, we know that yeah, we know that Stanislas has done stuff over the years. Um, Shane Long is due a few goals. I think <laughs> they could come in this tournament. He's had a he's had a torrid period. Um, yeah, could be his time to shine as well. And um, but this is when, when I when I try and look at these things from like maybe not just a gambling perspective, but also just um, when you look at matchups, you're thinking like, what are there more weaknesses than positives when you speak about these teams? And I think if I've got a list, I think there's more weaknesses with Bournemouth than there are positives. Whereas Brentford, I think the list is much more even if way out in the positives. If you see what I mean, like just push it out in a positive way, and and that's where if you're if you're if you've got money to weigh on this, if you're looking at the the odds and things, you're looking at who do I like the look of more? Who's been who's convinced me more throughout the season? Um, yeah, probably not to finish on a negative note, but Begovic, like good keeper, good shot stopper. But is he is he like rooted to his line? Like you, you look at the high line they can have with Cook and and Carter Vickers because they're all passing so slowly. That space in behind, like, do you fancy Begovic coming out of his goal and yeah. getting there before forwards? That looks like a red card to me. Um, the shape itself, are they going to stick with this four three three? Raquel May's just coming to the side now. How much football has he played? Is he is he just sort of too loose on the ball? Is he going to give it away and get caught upfield? Do you need to? Does that mean you need to drop um, Billing or Wilshire or someone else to to sort of accommodate him? It's there's a lot more confusion around it, and I think the coaches as well. I think they've just not got that balance right there. I don't I don't like the I don't like the matchup of Woodgate, Jordan, O'Neill. It just doesn't seem right to me. There's a lot of I, chaos. I could be well there. There's a lot of chaos on, on and off yeah. the field. It feels like it's just so. I guess when we're talking about improvisation, I think it just feels like there's a lack of. I don't. Know, I, I don't. I don't feel the. When I look at Bournemouth, even on the pitch, I don't feel that kind of. I don't want to say identity because they kind of still have some of that left from their previous time in the Premier League, and there's still some of that bleeding through. But I, I just feel there's something missing with Bournemouth, and it's it's hard to kind of put your finger on one specific thing because there's so many kind of little tiny factors that are all kind of playing that part. Um, but it, it's noticeable. Um, and I think that's you're just two very different teams. Yes, well, it's going to be um, yeah, it's going to be an exciting one for sure. Um, Jordan, thanks so much for chatting through this. I feel like we've um, we've explored uh, Bournemouth in depth. Um, depending on how they go, we might do another one. It might be that some big things happen between now and the matches, or in between um, the two, or, or if there's anything to report that's that's sort of confirmed or or completely shattered uh, some of our perceptions. But um, yeah, this is like the start of the playoffs. Really, they're um, they're a mammoth period. Um, it's going to feel like um, it's going to feel like an age. But that week um, between that week between games is a long week. Yeah, well, it's not. It's not quite a week, is it? It's a few days, but it feels like a week or more. Yeah, it feels like um, it feels like an eternity. But um, they, they could be over by then. You never know. Or it could be um, that it's still on the knife edge. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Jordan, thanks again for joining me. I know you're um, sat there smugly watching these in just just pure excitement and uh, from that neutral position. Whereas 
everyone involved um, is just biting their nails and hoping they get through and it's positive but um, yeah just thanks for joining me and uh, uh, support the pod um, just follow uh, like and review and yeah come on you bees <laughs>